Welcome to the Weekly Squeak, your weekly geeky squeak with me, Christian Chiller, featuring a roundup of a few links and an interview. And my interview this week is with Paolo Negri, the CTO of Contentful, um, an API-based content management system. And it's actually based here in Berlin, doing quite well in that sort of space. And we spoke about some of their new features and plans specifically aimed at developers. Once again, some of you should be able to see me and some of you should be able to hear me. I still haven't quite finessed the Weekly Squeak video in terms of layout and things like that. But I think for now, this is fine. I've actually got quite a bit of news to share with you as well. But for now, let's get to my links of the week. First, an article from one of my favorites here. Stephen J. Vaughan Nichols on how to judge open source projects. And I actually wrote a piece for a client a couple of months ago, somewhat covering this subject, um, more on metrics, more if you were inside an open source project in opensource.com and a few other outlets also have some really good advice on this. And this is more of our internal uh, open source project maintainers. This article is more aimed at people from the outside looking in how to judge if an open source project is uh, is one that is worth spending your time with learning. Uh, and of course, one of the common metrics that people tend to look at is GitHub stars. Doesn't necessarily mean very much. Uh, another might be to look at the community act- action on the on the project so merges well merges that's GitLab but anyway pull request merges issues solved communication etc etc but um yeah it's somewhat difficult sometimes to know what those really mean uh, as from an insider's perspective and an outsider's perspective there's a nice little bullet list here as well that could be useful to you as a summary Can you figure out where to get the source code? Not everyone is on GitHub. Uh, Can people contribute? Uh, There's often lots of barriers in the way. So is it really open source in the proper meaning of the sense? Um, Is the process clear and straightforward? Uh, What about if you're not part of the in crowd, which is actually another interesting point to bear in mind. Sometimes you might think you can contribute to a project, but then really contributions from external people sort of they're not welcome but they're not they're not necessarily taken seriously maybe shall we say and are they using a well-known license so if from an outside perspective maybe as a business person or just a contributor wanting to find a project to contribute to have a look at this this article and it might help you make your judgment call That is actually the last technology article. (laughs) Now it's all gaming. Uh, First is an article here on Wired from Cecilia D'Anastasio. It was actually shared to me by my wife. So Dungeons & Dragons has been expanding in all sorts of ways, shapes and forms into all sorts of different people over the past few months, years, I guess. And TikTok. TikTok is a site I have managed to mostly completely miss. Not necessarily any... um, any reason but and there's an article here about gen zers on gen zers i don't know on tiktok doing Dungeons and dragons videos and there's some quite strange images um from some of these here 
mostly kind of interpreting characters, I think, um, and uh, playing out certain scenes and things like that. I don't think TikTok is short videos, so I don't think uh, it's actually people playing games or anything like that. But yeah, it's and it kind of interesting. And I guess for someone like an old school D&D player like me, who is sort of getting exposed to different groups playing Dungeons & Dragons more recently with some of the groups I've been joining, it's interesting to see how lots of them manifest their uh, passion and interest in different ways. Uh, so I found it quite interesting. One of my favorites here on the Digital Antiquarian uh, from Jimmy Meyer. Bullfrog after Populous. Bullfrog were a games company from the UK in the 80s and 90s and made uh, Populous. Uh, they made, what's the other one? Oh, it's in here. <laughs> actually, this text size is tiny. Let's make that a little bit bigger so you can actually look along with me. Um, that's still tiny. It's a very small font size. I think that's a little bit better. So Populous, uh, Syndicate, and a few other games that maybe weren't so well known. But for a period of time, you get a lot of companies like this in this era that have a couple of major hits and then just cannot uh, keep going afterwards. And this is interesting. I mean, there's a photo at the top here where you see... I mean, the studio is probably a couple of dozen people at most, whereas now big game studios might be hundreds of people. And those teams come and go, obviously. But it's always quite interesting to, to read the history of some of these old classics and how they kind of somewhat haphazardly came together and really pushed the, the limits of the technology at the time to, to accomplish um, what they were trying to accomplish. And Populous was one. I think I have it on Good Old Games and Syndicate. I'd be intrigued to actually try them. I do remember playing them on my Amiga years ago and this was actually one other interesting thing so jimmy meyer has also written a book about the amiga which i did read it was an interesting read um if you're into <laughs> the understanding the depths of a story about a, a 1980s 90s computer platform of course not everyone's taste um a lot of programmers especially in europe really tied themselves to particular platforms that then went and it's not such an issue these days and i think that's why also why a lot of these companies kind of vanished they were too slow to change and then the platform that they were building for kind of vanished but it's an interesting article in uh, jimmy's usual style um so if you're a child of my sort of oh yeah that's the other thing peter molyneux was basically a bit of a sort of uh, kind of cause celebre uh star who wasn't afraid to do crazy things when people interviewed him so there's a photo here of him being interviewed on the toilet he actually has his trousers up, disappointingly. But, um, well, not disappointingly, but you know what I mean. It's not as sensational as it could be. I remember once doing a, a photo shoot where they put us in the shower and put the shower on us. So things didn't change that much 20 years later. But, um, yeah, it's always fun reading these stories of these old games companies and then kind of how they did things and uh, what they were like in those days. And finally... Coming back kind of to the Dungeons & Dragons angle. I should have tied those together better. This is an article from Michael A. Gold on There Will Be Games Medium publication. Um, four great history books for game masters. I was going down a bit of a uh, rabbit hole the past week of advice for games uh, masters, dungeon masters, storytellers, games runners, whatever you want to call them. Games ours. Um and uh, one of the things I like most about trying to come up with scenarios and write scenarios is actually pulling from history. 
and I make lots of notes, but I've never been very good at going back to look at them sometimes. Maybe, maybe I should a bit more. But this uh, article summarizes four really good books from various points in history to help you kind of bring a little bit of realism into the fancy settings. And I mean, stories uh, transfer across. So there's a book on the Crusades. There's a book on the history of China. There is a book on the year 1000, kind of that the author poses as the first for globalization. And then finally, there's also 1491, America before Columbus, Americas to be precise, actually, before Columbus, if you know your history. So I added these to my to-read list. I will look forward to reading some of these in the future. And that was my links for the week. And now I have an interview with, yes, the CTO of Contentful, a kind of uh, reasonably growing tech startup here in Berlin, a content API, if you like, Paolo Negri of Contentful. Enjoy. So I'm Paolo, CTO at Contentful. I founded the company together with Sasha Konietzke in 2012, and I've been the CTO at Contentful since uh, then. Um, we started the company over here in Berlin. Germany. And uh, yeah, it's been an exciting journey. Uh, right now, the company counts around 400 people. And uh, we have offices uh, in Berlin, Germany, and in uh, the US, San Francisco. And uh, yeah, it's a pleasure today to talk with you, Chris. Did you say 400 or 300? 400. Okay. Um, before we get into what Contentful is, I'll add a very slight disclaimer is I actually used to work for Contentful and Paolo was my boss. So I'm asking questions I know the answers to in certain times. But um, the thing that struck me there is at the time it was only less than 100 people. So that's actually quite an incredible growth in the past three years, I think. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's been, uh, it's been pretty, pretty exciting. And uh, we kept on having the traction that we had at the time uh, you joined. So the company kept on growing quickly. <laughs> and uh, uh, we close to doubled every year since when uh, you, you were with us. So yeah. it's been uh, uh, always busy and it's always exciting <laughs> at, <laughs> as you experienced it. And what is Contentful? I think certain people who are in the space that Contentful operates in will certainly know it, but it's it's kind of a space that is newish to some people. So let's explain what Contentful is and the kind of ecosystem it operates in. Yeah, of course. So Contentful is a content uh, platform. And uh, to explain uh, the whole idea and where it comes from, we can start from the beginning where we started by defining us as API-first content management. And the idea of API-first content management is really that right now where each website and each web application is essentially a piece of software that needs to integrate content, you need to have um, a facility, um, software of sort, where you manage content in a way where the people who produce the content can actually use it with a good usability from a web application kind of experience. But on the other side, this content is stored accordingly to a strict structure definition. And then the content can be consumed via an API in order to integrate the content into software. And this is a very different approach from the first generation of content management system. And the first generation was mostly focused on rendering HTML pages. And also it was all revolving around this concept of page. And instead, Contentful allows the production of software in a familiar environment, but so the production of content in a familiar environment, but it allows for the integration of this content into software 
by emitting essentially a data structure that is distributed by API. Um, and this way it allows for very interactive content-driven application and experiences like the one that we use every day uh, from our phone or from our computers. So to some people who hear this, that concept might sound kind of like you, you now, to be blunt, have quite a few competitors in the space from open sure. source projects to commercial products. So now it seems like this, this, this idea doesn't seem particularly new, but when you mentioned you started it in 2012, I think. Yes, said. yes, yeah. that was the year. And uh, Sasha started working on the concept uh, in yeah. 2011 already. And back then, it would definitely it was it wasn't a common approach. <laughs> and we had to explain to many of our early customers well, why it was even worth to have content emitted as an API yeah. and why you should use this uh, approach. And uh, gradually, as software kept on uh, eating the world, it became clear to everyone that... Uh, if you want to integrate content with software, the only one way is effectively to do it through products that allow yeah. you to deal with content through the APIs and also more and more. And that's why now we call it Content for Content Platform is because it's not so much only about the facility of having an API that uh, makes you make you know, a step forward, but is also the fact of being able to integrate the content lifecycle into your software development lifecycle and essentially... Mm-hmm keep on iterating on both fronts of the technology side of your application and on the content side that uh, is integrated in your application and work on these two aspects in parallel as an organization, possibly on multiple projects in parallel and so on. So the concept did evolve quite a bit since the early beginning. Hmm. And that's to say API first is just the default in the industry today. Like everyone will wonder why bother even with other approaches. And um, But yeah, the platform did evolve for that. And now we have this wall you know, development pipelines in Contentful, there is a possibility of finding environments uh, and uh, switching the environment that you use uh, um, in production uh, in order to be able to roll out fluently uh, new deployments of your application and of your content. Uh, and uh, yeah, there are many more collaborations aspects in the platform for the production of content and so on. So we, you know, since when we started, the concept did evolve a lot, but definitely was the wave yeah. of uh, the API approach that pushed us forward and kept us growing. Yeah. Um, and uh, then yeah, we got recently to the launch of this community plan that is, again, connected to the idea of uh, uh, content management and development. Let's, let's, let's come back to that. I'd like to come back to that in a minute. I'd like to go back a little bit first. Go ahead. Because um, this is your your kind of... Uh, problem space was a space I understood myself. I might come to my own journey on this story in a minute, but I'd like to know back in 2011, 2012, what was the, the, the personal pain points of you and Sasha that you decided to create this around to solve? What were you grappling with at the time? Yeah, absolutely. And it's interesting because we came from uh, different uh, points. Sasha was really much trying to solve the problem of managing content for mobile application. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And and that's obviously what showed him the way to having an API-first approach because mobile applications are obviously very dynamic piece of software. And if you need to integrate content in there, um, you need to have it. Uh, you need to have content as a data structure, and then he started developing essentially this backend that would allow his customers to enter content again in a web form, and um, on the other side, it would allow him to build the application uh, um, consuming content from an API. And when such approached me uh, with this idea, back then I was working in social games. <laughs> and uh, <Yeah. laughs> social, social games uh, obviously are, uh, you know, fundamentally are just a server client architecture and the client is the game. 
And uh, we were going through a lot of pain, actually, to manage the in-game content uh, because uh, the game is full of content. You know, there is the name of the characters. There is all the elements that are in the shop that uh, um, is present in the game and all the speech bubbles of the characters when they talk to each other. There is a lot of content and... Uh, uh, normally, social games are published in very different countries in very different languages. And we were managing a super clunky pipeline that we used to use Google Spreadsheet and uh, everyone will try to collaborate with the content. And then we would use the Google Spreadsheet API to essentially extract a horrendous XML uh, um, export of it and build these into the pipeline that eventually would uh, make the content also become an asset. So the intuition that I had was, um, you know, I told Sasha, but this is not only about uh, solving the problem of managing content for mobile apps, but is solving the problem of managing content in any kind of interactive software mm. um, application. And um, before working in social games, I was working um, at some point in uh, advertising. And that's a whole other area yep. where there is a lot of content, but there wasn't any decent content management system yeah. for that. Because again, you have this problem where content needs to be expressed as a data structure in order to be to be able to use it reasonably in um, that kind of context of advertisement or uh, games uh, and so on. And um, that's really the pain that we were trying to solve. There were really no tools. Every content management system was super eager to serve you a HTML page. And then you were like, well, now what am I going to do with it if actually I want to display only a snippet of text somewhere and I need to know exactly how to address this snippet out of the wall, yeah. big context of content that I'm working with. So th the main problem was really there was no decent content um, experience for people who needed to integrate content in a software application. Yeah. And uh, that's, as uh, software engineers, essentially the problem that we set out to solve. Yeah. And and so, yeah, I don't think I've actually even mentioned this strangely in, in several years of doing this podcast. Well, maybe I've, I've spoken to a lot of people. Sometimes I forget what I've said. Um my own journey to this came from doing a lot of work on aforementioned content management systems, uh, Drupal in this case. Sure. And even back, actually about the same sort of time, probably, 2011, 12, 13, there were lots of groups in that space talking about um, headless content management systems, I think. I'm not entirely sure if I've just replaced whatever they were using with the term we use now, but that was what they were talking about. And there were ways of doing it, but it wasn't it wasn't the first class citizen. It was mostly like you described. And I remember countlessly battling against theming and things like that. And yeah. then people wanting, especially in those days, yeah, mobile versions of content and stuff like that. And yeah. now I think all I mean, I've fallen out of touch a little bit, but I think all the major content management systems have similar ideas as well now, I think. I don't know. Yeah, I've absolutely. fallen out of touch a bit. Um, it is now mainstream idea in uh, in the content management system market. Yeah. Uh, whether you look at open source and so on, it is really the the, the approach that is now you know becoming the no. default. Yeah. So, and most of the audience of this show are developers, so I would like to focus a lot on on that side, which sure. gets to your kind of current um, uh, feature announcements. But let's just start with the other side of this first. So Contentful is a couple of different components, and one of those is the the editor experience. Yeah. So what can a content writer slash editor expect when they use Contentful? And I suppose actually the the interesting thing that comes into my mind here, which is something that would come up a lot when I used to do content management systems, is 
how customizable is that experience for the content people first? Yeah, sure. Yeah, I mean, that's a, an interesting question because this is also a picture that evolved uh, a lot uh, over time in, uh, in Contentful. And uh, one thing that we recognized early on was that when uh, editors started using the editor that we made available initially in Contentful, uh, we saw a lot of requests regarding, mm. uh, okay, but, you know, I have this very specific uh, type of content. Could I edit it in a specific uh, uh, way? And um, Contentful at the very beginning offered a few type of fields that you could um, uh, edit. Uh, so there were uh, basic things like you know, a big box of text, uh, short uh, text, uh, like string or tag, um, number, and few others. But we really recognize that it's like, well, there is a huge range of different uh, editing uh, details and uh, specifics that we will need to integrate in our editing experience. And uh, that's why we chose at the beginning uh, an approach of uh, achieving this for extensibility and customizability of the editor. And um, at the beginning, it was all about customizing some of the fields. And these days, we uh, very recently in uh, TZR, I think in February, we launched uh, what we call the application framework, mm-hmm. which is effectively a compound of few different capabilities um, of uh, the platform uh, and also obviously of the web application that is used for editing that um, allows um, our users to define um, uh, specific components uh, of our application and this can be just overriding uh, how a field is edited, so specifying a specialized editor for a single field, but can also be a specialized editor for a bigger piece um, of content or even just the entire screen of our web application in case the customer or the user wants to plug uh, the editor in a complete customized experience where there is uh, um, only the skeleton of what Contentful provides and all the rest uh, is provided by the user. And again, this is, since we are talking to an audience of developer, uh, is quite important. It is one of the aspects that is open also now in the um, community plan. Uh, the app framework is effectively provided completely uh, for uh, also the free plan and uh, is all documented publicly, so it's possible to use it. And uh, it's really possible to integrate closely Contentful with third parties or also mm-hmm. to realize content- features that are contained, so to say, in Contentful and self-hosted yeah. in Contentful uh, through, through that. But that's been... An important part, and of course, I think right now we are only up to some point in the journey and there will be more um, to come to make uh, for a more fluid experience mm. for um, editors. Okay, so let's get to the, the developer experience now. Sure. Maybe we will talk a little bit around the community plan here as we do yeah. this. So, I mean, I have an actual very active use case and that we can work with that. I've had a, a Jekyll site for some time, sure. <laughs> a very long time. Uh, there's content in there going back oh, over 12 years. I mean, it hasn't always been in Jekyll, but that's yeah. another story. Um, and because of that, I have a lot of images. I have a lot of stuff on my hard drive and in GitHub repositories that really I don't need there anymore, to be honest with you. <laughs> like, I, It doesn't get updated very often. I'm not updating posts from 12 years ago very much. Um so if I wanted to say, okay, this sounds good, I would like to um, maybe wipe away a lot of that in, in the Jekyll site and just host my content somewhere else, Sure. Um, the, the images, et cetera, et cetera, somewhere else. Um, and I, look, I start looking at your community plan. 
what would be my developer experience of that workflow? Like, uh, what can I do? And then what do I, what do I get at the end? And how do I visualize it some way? If that makes sure. sense. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It makes sense. So yeah. I mean, what you will do is obviously to start by opening an account and uh, essentially as soon as you open the account, you, you know, enter an environment where one thing that you can start doing is defining the schema of your content. Mm-hmm. So as you said, you know, you're dealing with a blog uh, uh, kind of uh, structure. So probably what you will want to define for sure is uh, um, a model that starts by defining what a blog post is mm-hmm. and uh, what are the components uh, that uh, define a blog post. Like it can be the title, can be the shorthand for the URL that is used for um, the specific blog post, uh, the, the body of the text, or maybe the body can be broken down in few different uh, parts. Like you can might have an abstract uh, and, and then uh, uh, a title um, and then um, maybe a reference image that is the canonical image uh, for uh, the page and so on. So you will define what your post looks like and you can also define maybe if you have some uh, um, constant subsections that you embed uh, in every blog post or in um, uh, most blog posts, we will define also the types of these subsections. Uh, like, let's say you have a feature of the product uh, um, that is maybe what you talk about in the blog post. You could define a product um, model where essentially you will say, uh, okay, I define that my product uh, as a code, uh, as a URI for people to go and see it at the site of the vendor and so on and so on and so on. It would specify essentially what is the um, schema, which is called content type in Contentful. Uh, it will define all your content types where you will have one content type for the blog post, one content type for uh, all the subsections of your blog post, and maybe also content type for something that you would say is the category of the blog post. And you will define relationships between all these entities. And th- when you finish with this work, what you have is a well-organized uh, conceptual version of all the elements that are composing uh, your uh, um, blog application and the data that is in your uh, blog. And after that, you will have to somehow think how you import, obviously, all what you have uh, already okay. in your uh, that blog. That's one of my next questions, yeah. Exactly. And, uh, <laughs> and then uh, the way you could do this is obviously one thing you could do is just go in the editor and manually upload yeah, and, uh, and copy and paste like fun, everything. Yeah. And that, that will be very efficient. <laughs> But the better opportunity that you have is uh, Contentful as a content management API that essentially okay. once yeah. you define your um, uh, content types, what you can do is just to issue essentially API calls that will allow you to uh, create um, essentially objects that reflect your uh, the data structure that you define in your content types. So you could say uh, you extract the data from your current uh, blog post that is in um, uh, Jekyll, and you will write a script that essentially takes uh, yeah. every page or uh, blog post, whatever it is called in Jekyll, and adapts it to the structure that you define it in Contentful and then makes uh, content management API calls on Contentful in order to create the um, uh, corresponding uh, entity in uh, Contentful. And very similarly, you could do for uh, organizing your images. If there are related mm-hmm. images, you could just uh, uh, programmatically upload them to Contentful and uh, link them to the right uh, content uh, entry that um, references these, um, uh, the, that is referenced in this blog post. So essentially you could uh, develop a script 
um, that helps you in, uh, importing 12 years worth of content. So you don't need to do everything manually, but you can just do it uh, um, in one big batch uh, running your uh, script. Yeah. And, yeah. and from the point, essentially, your content will be effectively uh, in contentful. And so then to get the content visible somewhere, I use a, another API that gives me, I'm guessing, JSON. I think you now have GraphQL as well. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. yeah, And I can yeah. do a multitude of things with that. I mean, I know you have a pretty close uh, connections with things like Gatsby, for example, the kind of more JavaScript world. CMS exactly. probably others too. As a next step, you, you will need to choose you know, some um, uh, framework to actually visualize your content, and Gatsby is a pretty good example. Uh, or it could be uh, Jekyll again, probably. Or Jekyll again, yeah. if you feel uh, <laughs> an aficionado of, uh, of the technology, for sure. Uh, you could use that. And essentially, it will consume what is called the Content Delivery API, and mm. that's a very powerful API that allows, again, to very specifically and make queries uh, to obtain only the content that is interesting for the page or element that you are rendering um, at the moment. Mm-hmm. And uh, there is a choice. You can use the REST API, which is the original API of Contentful, or you can also use the GraphQL API, which, of course, uh, is the more modern version of it and has some more flexibility mm-hmm. um, into, into it. And there is also might be more network efficient depending yep. by the yep. approaches yep. that yep. Uh, you uh, you yeah. take so essentially you can consume this API and what is um, great of this approach is that you can depending by your use case you can choose something that consumes the API as your user visits the website or you can choose to rather build your website every time that you update it if it's something that you don't update very often yeah. and uh, yeah. it's acceptable to have the build time uh, being in between the moment you publish the publish button and the moment your website is updated uh, there are different solutions, but in general, this way, yeah, you have a strong approach that allows you, again, to consume content programmatically and uh, eventually to reuse it in different places. As an example, one advantage of uh, having your content in Contentful is if you want some of your content featured elsewhere, you can just offer um, access to the API to a third party in order to access your content, and they will have it in a format that is, um, again, uh, um, uh, no API, JSON-based API. So mm-hmm. it will be easy to integrate in a third-party syndication yep. um, kind of application, yep. and yep. T- which is something that usually wasn't possible with the previous uh, previous. Yeah. So this is something I'd actually like to dig into further because bizarrely, my Jekyll site does a lot of strange things, <laughs> <laughs> um, and it's really pushing the limits of it. So I'm almost uh, getting a little bit of free support here. Uh, maybe I don't know, but uh, hopefully it's a good use Absolutely. case for this thing as well. Um, so, for example, uh, I actually have a lot of uh, Zapier tasks that sure. are triggered by um, at the moment RSS feeds uh, from yeah. from Jekyll because it's kind of easier and then it works. Um, so this sort of contentful is designed to be extensible, but. Um, as far as I can tell, basically it, it's the same thing. If there's an output in a JSON or GraphQL format and a tool can accept that, I can do something with it. And I'm guessing you're probably working with and encouraging a community of, to to create um, commercial and open source. Yeah, absolutely. Tools to help as well. 
Yeah, I mean, Contentful has been for, again, I mean, we started really with the developers, uh, mm. you know, the persona that we wanted to design the tool for. So it is designed for integration. And um, we talked about APIs. There is also a um, quite powerful webhook system. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, I think, uh, you know, usually the word webhook just alludes to some simple mechanic where it's like, you know, you get a fixed kind of format in um, um, your webhook structure. In Contentful, the system um, is quite evolved. And mm-hmm. uh, essentially what you have is a range of events that Contentful can generate. And you can send these events to different endpoints depending by, for example, let's say you want to ping four different sources whenever you update something or you want to process some of your um, assets. For example, you will want an image to be transformed and so on. You can, through the webhook system, whenever an image is amended uh, or changed in any way, you can essentially define a webhook that says, okay, whenever something happens to an image, uh, I will... uh, make this call to this endpoint and the calls are quite customizable like it's possible to define the body um, of the webhook call so that mm-hmm. it adapts and plugs directly into other services you define you talked to us an example about Zapier so it's possible to customize payloads and other details of the uh, web call that will be executed so that you can directly from contentful call other systems and uh, as an example, many AWS services work out of the box. So um, if you want to do something uh, on the cloud, you can trigger it directly from Contentful. And the way you can think about it is really to have a PubSub system that essentially uh, is emitted by Contentful. And um, obviously, because you also have the Content Management API, what you can have is systems that receive webhook calls and then they respond by eventually making changes uh, in the uh, Content Management API uh, if you mm. have some, psycho, uh, some transformations that you want uh, to do. Yeah. So uh, it's a pretty comprehensive system that really allows you to um, integrate your pipeline of uh, you know, content production uh, and eventually also software deployment uh, really allows you to manage the whole uh, life cycle in uh, in one place and Contentful can be the central orchestration yeah. point where yeah. uh, you log in and trigger all the events that are needed. Yeah, something I'm thinking about. I also kind of bring in content from, I aggregate into my own site um, as well. Absolutely, so, that, yeah. that's another possibility yeah. to uh, hook uh, other sources to create yeah. for you in the content management API okay. uh, entries that uh, you can use to enrich your content. I run a new live stream where I actually do uh, developer experience evaluation. So it seems like... A That's an interesting time. candidate for, for that. Yeah. <laughs> a good one to try. Okay. So, I mean, interesting when I look down the comparison. So when you look at the kind of pricing for Contentful, the the, the jump from free to the next tier is, is quite a large one. Sure. Um, and there's a lot that you get for free. Um, I think there's probably a few limits here that might surprise people how quickly they might hit them. Um, you know, for example, 25,000 records seems like a lot, but when you read further, it says it also includes assets and things. So if you actually start to think, that can add up quite quickly if you're not careful. Sure. Um, but still, there's quite a lot here. Um, yeah. So I suppose the one question, I don't, know, I don't know if you want to answer this or not, but it's it's like... <laughs> Is this going to be sustainable for you? Do you think? Like, there's a cost, obviously, in in, in running this. I mean, I mean, assuming you've you've thought about this for some time. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, 
Yeah, of course, it is um, it is a commitment, uh, you know, to yeah. offer teas. And as you say, um, the capacity of the free plan uh, is now sized to a level where it should allow for any personal project uh, mm. or reasonably contained scope project. So it's really for, as an example, the blog post is a perfect example that mm. they should definitely fit in the community plan um, without too much trouble. And it's definitely possible to do some significant things uh, there. For, for more professional and engaged use, of course, we have the other plans, but the idea was that these could serve most self-contained projects for what we see from a small mobile application to personal mm. project like blog post or a small shop, um, all these use cases should be covered by community. Regarding the sustainability, well, of course, it's something that we gave for before launching. Yeah. And um, of course, Contentful is uh, um, very successful uh, in the enterprise, very successful uh, in um, digital companies. So we have... Uh, uh, a very healthy amount of revenue that we can um, uh, get from those customers. And uh, effectively, we feel that um, uh, having the developer community being able to use Contentful in a meaningful uh, way, it is something that ultimately helps us uh, mm-hmm. in, a number, uh, in a number of ways. So we really feel, yes, this is a cost. It is definitely sustainable mm-hmm. for us. And uh, ultimately, we find value in uh, having professional developers uh, um, getting uh, onboarded on Contentful, being able to run their projects and um, being exposed uh, to all what Contentful is capable and being able also to prove it. Uh, mm-hmm. Because of course, sometimes when you approach new products, you know, like, you know, one question that you ask yourself is like, I see how is it advertised. I see what's uh, um, communicated uh, on the website, but it's quite different when you try it. You, you really realize uh, um, what enables you to do, how it enables you to do, and if it fits your use case. And we really think it's um, important that uh, anyone who wants to experience Contentful just can do it without friction, without having to uh, put up some money uh, up front, and can yeah, use it for an extended amount of time um, and just you know, get, get involved with it. Also, as you said, we have, um, um, as I said, we have this application framework, which is another mm. interesting ground of experimentation of uh, new ideas. Like, you know, can you extend the contentful to connect uh, maybe with your service if you are running a service uh, yourself? Uh, um, or can you uh, experiment something that, you know, you see not work a problem and at work you don't really have the time to try out crazy things that you would like to prove? And with contentful, you can uh, um, for free from home or run some experiment and make a proof of concept and try out some crazy ideas that maybe you don't find yeah, um, yeah, time yeah. Uh, and the uh, means to do. Um, and the content will really give you a full exposure to the application framework. And that's, yeah. I think, uh, also an interesting uh, uh, area to explore how integrations between systems can be done. And uh, to some degree, yeah. I think it might be an intriguing topic yeah. by itself. That there isn't so much out there um, freely available and can be just an interesting idea to say, well, if I want, for example, to have a content management solution that also interfaces with some specific artificial intelligence uh, service that uh, I'm aware of, you can try to hook them up uh, together um, and um, uh, see what the f- looks and feel. Um, yeah. So we really find that there is a value 
for us in uh, making this available. We want everyone to be able to learn for free. Like, no, we don't want the learning content full cost you anything. Uh, and we think there is a value in also collecting feedback from this community mm. and seeing what we learn from having the community interacting with all these uh, tools and aspects of the product that we make available. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I'm actually thinking I might try a more experimental project. <laughs> yeah, that, that's, that's really what I love. And I mean, that's... Uh, that is yeah. what the internet is about, you know, it's been, uh, and you probably can relate. I mean, you come also from the days where technology was very different. And at the beginning, it was really a struggle. What are you saying, Paul? <laughs> <laughs> you know, at the beginning, it was quite a struggle to try out things, you know? Yeah, yeah, uh, no, it's true. I, I can see some, some valid use cases here. I, I know you, you still have a couple of other even competitors in this space that offer it for free. And what free means, of course, is always a bit unclear that I might investigate as a side comparison as part of a, a kind of further research. But um, there's a lot. I, I think there's a lot here. I think probably the one main thing that might might put off people migrating from something like using a GitHub repository or something instead is a user limit. Um, whereas on GitHub, of course, it can be as, as many as you want, really. Um, but... In reality, how many do you actually get on a lot of side projects? It's something to ask yourself, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah that's, that's why we put the limit at that point because we, we really, we really for, okay, this is really meant for mm. uh, yourself or for you and um, another person just yeah. to try out yeah. things. And uh, yeah. if you start to have, um, you know, the problem of, okay, do you onboard five editors on your project? Probably you also have other aspects to take care of. Yeah. Yeah. For that, you want uh, probably to look at the paid plan and uh, enjoy a bit more of the collaboration features and uh, what is more uh, um, really, you know, team grade or enterprise grade uh, aspects of the platform. Just, just out of interest though, I mean, because it's API access, Obviously, you have rate limiting on, on the APIs. But in theory, people could do all sorts of things with those APIs and add all sorts of things in front of them that maybe get around some of your limits in some ways. So yeah. do you have any kind of <laughs> terms of conditions of what people could do with those APIs? Or? There, there are obviously fair usage policies. Okay. And uh, you know, it's always uh, important in a relationship with a vendor. It's always important to be honest on both sides, of yeah. course. Um, but in general, I think, you know, someone can also try some acts and, uh, again, I mean, if they are rather innocent and they don't end up, uh, being, uh, you know, can also be uh, in the range of experiment, understanding what you can do. So, for example, if you okay. want to try a custom editing, a completely custom editing experience where you say, I don't know, I want to do a super specific live blogging, uh, uh application. Okay, you might just try, okay, like uh, I have editors not actually login in Contentful to edit, mm -hmm. but just push their edits through the API. And again, I mean, if you want to do it in a secure way, you might still need um, to upgrade your plan because you want to distinguish user identities and be... Yeah, that is true, that is true. Security. Course, yeah. Yeah. So, but in general, I think, you know, we, we give a bit of a degree of freedom uh, and uh, again, fairness must be taken into account, but um, it is possible to um, mold the system uh, into something that is intriguing uh, and uh, definitely you can um, flex uh, all um, your brain around what you can do with the tool. Yeah. I mean, so somehow okay. it's also, again, 
there is a playful aspect in building new projects and uh, tinkering around with software. And uh, yeah, we want to support that. Okay. Final question I always like to ask. I mean, this has obviously been a relatively large feature you've been working on for some time, but you know, you're a startup. Um, what's next? What's on the roadmap for the next sort of six to 12 months? Sure. I mean, we will uh, keep on investing on um, two things. One is uh, keep on investing on the application framework. So we will have new capabilities from a point of view of integration point on uh, how customizable um, is uh, the application, um, the richness of the events that we emit, uh, um, more specifics regarding the pub subsystem, regarding what can be interfaced with, um, and so on. So we'll keep on investing on these aspects. Mm-hmm. And um, in the paid branch of the product, we will keep on investing on next generation uh, content editing and content-related um, uh, uh, experience, uh, like uh, the wall collaboration around content production is becoming a bigger and bigger topic for Contentful. As I said, we really you know, excel at uh, integrating with um, the software development process and mm-hmm. especially with the agile software development process. Mm-hmm. And uh, we want more and more to help editorial teams enter in, um, in the loop and be integrated in the loop in a very elegant and uh, uh, frictionless way. So we will keep on uh, also... Um, investing on that front and we have some exciting things that I cannot quite uh, talk about yet coming uh, um, at the end uh, of the year, beginning of next year on this uh, on this front. But what is also exciting is all these has been enabled also internally for Contentful by the application framework. Yeah. So I yeah. think one new approach that we're really taking is somehow to build Contentful on Contentful, um, which is something we started making possible this year, which again, I find keep us very aligned with our developer audience because essentially yeah. our developers day by day have shared most of the experiences that the standard developers that Good. Yeah, yeah. also have. <laughs> so we find that is really a fair ground for everyone to play. And um, again, that's uh, interesting because if you try out the product as external developer, essentially you are trying out some of the things that you will be working on if you are working on Contentful as developer. And that was my interview with Paolo from Contentful. I hope you enjoyed that. Now, I have a few things to share with you. I'm having some problems building my website right now. So there's a few things missing. Uh, Something has changed somewhere that is causing the build to time out. So (laughs) there's a few things I want to direct you to my website to look at that I can't right now. Hopefully, I'll have it fixed by the time you listen to this. But... So the first episode of Board Game Jerk is out. You can find that on anchor.fm slash boardgamejerk. The first episode of Stories About People is out. You can find that on anchor.fm slash storiesaboutpeople. And finally, when I've fixed my website, you'll also find it at christiangillett.com slash podcasts. I have a few other articles in there. And I also have my Dexpose this week. I actually did on Contentful. So you can have a look there after listening or watching the interview. And I will have a new solo adventurer coming out probably a day or so after this podcast, where I'll be looking at um, Gentleman Thief. See how I'm suddenly having a complete blank on what it's actually called. I guess I should... Gentleman Bandit. Gentleman Bandit. Close enough. <laughs> so you can look forward to that. 
And you can find details of those um, actually well on Twitch. It's twitch.tv slash D-X-P-O-S-E. D-X-P-O-S-E, that is. And for Solo Adventurer, twitch.tv slash Solo Adventurer. For YouTube, you can just look for... Actually, I need to fix my YouTube link. I realize it's a bit of a pain to to find. I need to get the link properly sorted out. But um, if you go to my website, even the in its partially broken state, you will be able to find a link to my YouTube channel there. And you can find some of these videos there too. I think that is all I have to share with you right now. So, as always, if you have been, thank you very much for joining me and I'll see you next time. Bye-bye.